0: You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at www.fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from guest speaker Vance Pittman. I want to bring you greetings today from thousands of church planters all across North America. And I'm praying that maybe out of this crowd right over here, God is raising up some more church planting teams that are going to be sent out to join in the activity of God of multiplying the church so that the kingdom of God may be expanded in cities and nations all over the world because of your generosity. I just came last week. I just flew here yesterday from San Diego, California, barely made it. Of all things, there is a snowstorm in Southern California, if you can believe it, happening right now. It's a winter apocalypse, but uh, I was there last week in San Diego with 600 church planters and their wives. They're all starting new churches in the mountain and Pacific time zones, and every one of them is doing what they do on your shoulders because as you give through this fellowship, you are joining in the activity of God. I always say it like this. You don't give to a church. You give through a church as an investment in the kingdom being expanded in cities and nations all over the world. So thank you for your generosity. I also want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, maybe you didn't know you had brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, right? When you think about Vegas, what do you think? What's the name? What is it called? Uh, Sin City' some the casino. Sin City, right? All over the world. I know you got a team headed to, to Kenya. I was in Tanzania or, or Lusaka in Zambia on the border of Tanzania training a, a group of pastors in a hut one time and I said, "I'm from Las Vegas and a guy in the back goes, "Oh, Sin City, like all over the world." Everybody knows, but I'm telling you, God is alive and at work in the city of Las Vegas where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. My family's had the privilege of being there for the last 22 years. Uh, we God allowed us to be involved in his activity of birthing a new church there that's been involved in that city now for 22 years, and it's the place that we call home. Uh, I grew up in Alabama, and if you're from Alabama, you don't go to Las Vegas. If you do, you don't tell anybody, right? Like, I'm not going to say, how many of you have been to Vegas? I'm not going to make you do that in church, all right? Not going to make you acknowledge that today. I saw somebody over here kind of went like this a little bit. Um, Where I'm from, people don't think Las Vegas is hell, but you can smell it from there. Like, it's close. But God is moving in that city. I want to jump right in today to what I want to share with you And I want to do that by sharing with you a quote that that came across my path when I was in the process of relocating to Vegas to plant a church. As a matter of fact, the very first night I preached in Vegas, I stood in my living room with a small group of people, about 18, that had some had relocated there with us, some we'd met in the city. And I shared this quote with them there that night, 22 years ago. And it's by a man named William James, and here's what it said The great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. I don't know how that hits you today, but when I read that statement 20-plus years ago, everything in my soul said, yes, I want to live my life for something that is bigger than me. And I don't think you'll ever find a group of people that more embodied the passion of that statement than what we find in the opening pages of the book of Acts. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it today to Acts chapter 1. Just a minute, I'm going to get to a text of scripture, but let me tell you about these people that we're going to read about. This is the group of people that God used to birth the very first New Testament church. Now when I say first church, I don't mean the first Baptist church or the first Presbyterian church. I'm talking about The first, the OG church. This is the original New Testament church. And on their launch Sunday, what you and I would call their grand opening, on launch Sunday, Sunday number one, they preached the gospel and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I don't know how you measure success in church planting here at FBC Jinx, but if 3,000 people come to Christ on Sunday number one, I'd say that's a pretty good start. Amen? Like we'd all get the t-shirts printed. I was there the Sunday of the 3,000, right? If 3,000 people on Sunday number one is not enough, on Sunday number two, they came back and preached the gospel again in Jerusalem. So many people come to Christ on Sunday number two that they can't even count everybody. The Bible tells us they can only count the men, and there were five 1,000 men, not counting women and children. So now we're, we're two weeks in and somewhere over 20,000 new believers in the city of Jerusalem in this church. Now, I know that you know, we look around the room today, I know there's some people watching in overflow, people watching online. You know a little bit about having some space problems here at First Baptist Jinx. But could you imagine, two weeks in, 20,000 people? you talk about space problems. Historians and scholars go on to tell us that within six months, the church in Jerusalem saw 100,000 people come to faith in Christ. You know the problem with us in America today? We don't even think God does that kind of stuff anymore. We don't expect God to do that. I was writing here with your... Pastor from the airport last night, Pastor Rick, I said, man, what's the population of of, of Jinx? He said about 30,000 people. What if in six months we could say there's not a lost person left in Jinx, Oklahoma? Like the same God that was sitting on the throne in Acts chapter 1 is still the same God who's sitting on the throne today. He never takes a day off. He never comes up for election. God is still God and God is still in the saving business. You want to talk about turning the world upside down? The Scripture and historians go on to tell us that within 40 years of this event, the gospel had reached every corner of the known world. And here we sit today, we're just a small number of the two billion people in the world who profess to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Did you know that every single one of us today stand on the shoulders of these brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem who sold everything they had for the sake of the gospel? When I understood the significant impact this group of people had, I did some study into them. And you know what I found out? They were not an impressive lot. As a matter of fact, if we were going to divide up and pick teams to change the world, you wouldn't have picked any of these people to be on your team. They didn't have money. They didn't have influence. They didn't have education. They didn't have experience. None of them ever started a church before in their life, much less a movement. My friend J.D. Greer said it this way. Never has a larger assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. And yet history is undeniable. God through them forever changed the world. Makes us ask a question. What was it about them that allowed them to be so mightily used of God? Well, let's read it. Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, listen to what it says. I want you to listen for some things about them. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I'm reading out of the ESV. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, if you see it on the screen, say it out loud, speaking about the what? Say it one more time real loud. The what? The what? That's real important. We're going to come back to that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. You will, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I find it interesting. The church in America today, we got our nose all stuck in politics, right? Well, that's not an American problem. That's been a problem since the church began. Look here, Jesus is starting the very first church. He's about to give them the mission of the gospel, and they want to talk politics. Lord, is now the time you're going to throw Rome out and let Israel be in charge of running the government again? Notice what he said. That ain't your business. You see, it doesn't say that. Yes, it does. Look at it, verse seven. He said to them, "That's not for you to know." You know what that? You know what that means in Greek? That's none of your business. That's not your business. That's not your place. As a matter of fact, look what he went on to say. Those are times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own. He said, that's not your business. God is in control of all that. He's not been shaken off the throne just with some political upheaval. We need to stay. Listen, the undoing of the church in America, if we're not careful, is we've so stuck our nose in politics that we've forgotten the real mission that God gave us, and it's the only mission that can change the world, and that's the message of the gospel. That's not the sermon. Let's keep going. Verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when he had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to, say it out loud, to, that's another important point, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, that's a big text of scripture. I'm an expositor. I love to take every verse and go verse by verse and walk through a text. When we started our church in Las Vegas, we started in the Gospel of John. John 1.1 took us five years to finish the Gospel of John, just preaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John. I love to preach through a text. There's no way in the time I got left we can walk through all of that together, all right? We, can't, we could spend 10 weeks unpacking what we just read. But I want by way of an overview to try to give you four realities about these people that I believe enabled them to turn the world upside down. And here's what I want you to understand. Every one of these things we can grab a hold of and apply in our own life. Here's the first one. They had a faith that produced obedience. Let me say it another way. They trusted God. And they did what God said. Now I know that sounds simple, but in the day we live in today, that's radical. You see, we got it all figured out. We know how to do church for weeks and 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 months and months and months and years and years and years, whether God ever shows up or not. We don't need God. We can do this thing. We got a strategy. We got our buildings. We got our programs. We got our budgets. You say, where do you see that in the text? Jesus told them in verse 4 to go and wait in what city? If you remember, say it out loud. Where did he tell them to go? To go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And the Bible says they went to where? It's not a trick question. He told them to go to Jerusalem. They went where? Jerusalem. You say, why is that radical? You do remember what had just happened in Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem was the scene of the crime. Like 40 days earlier, the entire city of Jerusalem had lined the streets and given their opinion of Jesus. And here's what their opinion was Crucify him. They'd said very clearly, We don't want your Jesus. We don't want your church. We don't want your movement. And they literally nailed Jesus to a cross. And Jesus said, Here's the plan. We're going to go start our church in Jerusalem. And here's the crazy part. They went. It tells us something about them. They didn't make their decisions based on their feelings. Because I promise you, Jerusalem didn't feel good to nobody. Nobody went, ooh, Jerusalem, I can't wait. No, they were afraid. They thought if we go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill us like they killed Jesus. They're going to kill our families. They're going to take our jobs. They're going to destroy our lives. They, they didn't make their decisions based on their opinions. It was nobody's opinion that Jerusalem was the great. Like, like, if you'd taken index cards and passed them around, said, hey, everybody write down your top three cities where you'd like to begin our movement. Let me tell you what city wouldn't have wound up on anybody's card. Well, I'll take that back. There'd been one smart aleck in the room, probably Peter. I don't care where we go, long as it's not Jerusalem. And where'd Jesus say go? And where'd they go? How about that? They didn't make their decisions based on their circumstances. Because you know what the circumstances screamed about Jerusalem? That door is closed. You ever prayed that? God, just open a door or close a door. And I just, where you close the door, I won't. listen, Jerusalem's door was closed. As a matter of fact, they literally nailed it shut. You didn't have to do a demographic survey of the community surrounding Jerusalem to find out if they were open to the beginning of a new church. And yet, they went to Jerusalem. Why? Here's why. Because it's what he said. Which means, they knew what it was to hear the voice of God. And when God spoke... They simply did what God said. And there is one of the reasons why the church in North America is not seeing God move in power. We don't wait to hear what God's got to say anymore. We got a plan. We got a strategy. We got a budget. We can run the play. We know how to do church, not the early church. Listen, sometimes God is going to call us to stuff that doesn't add up on paper. It's not going to make sense logically. It's not going to match with the budget. And we're just going to have to say, Lord, you spoke, we trust you. Second thing, they had a passion that produced unity. I'm going to prove to you That the church in Jerusalem, biblically, was not a Southern Baptist church. I'm going to prove it to you right out of Scripture. Look at verse 14. These, all these with one accord. That's it right there. It literally means all these with the same accord. Mind, I've been a Southern Baptist longer than I've been a Christian. I was born into a Southern Baptist church. I I was going to church Sunday and Wednesday nine months before I was even born. Like, I'm a Southern Baptist my whole life. That ain't a Southern Baptist church. All in one. Everybody's on the same page. I've never been to a Baptist church like that. Have you? If you ever find one, don't join it. You're going to mess it up. It means that everybody in the church had the same passion and their passion united. Oh, are you saying today we're not passionate? No, we're passionate. The problem is we're all passionate about something different. Somebody's passionate about this political ideal. Somebody's passionate about this particular genre of ministry. Somebody's passionate about this style. Somebody's passionate about this ministry. And because we all got different passion, rather than it uniting us, it divides us. But the early church said there's something that is bigger than all the rest of it. And we're going to wrap our hearts around that. What, what, what was it that they wrapped their hearts around? Well, we think it's Acts 1.8. As Southern Baptists, we can't wait to get to verse 8. We think the first 7 is just introductory remarks to get to verse 8, but it's really verse 3. Look at verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. Now, you know what this is. This is the 40 days when Jesus is appearing to his disciples after the resurrection before the ascension. For 40 days, it's the last 40 days Jesus was physically present on earth. And the Bible says for 40 days, he made appearances to his disciples. And for 40 days, get this, he only talked about one thing. It's almost as if he said, if you forget everything else I've talked about, In three and a half years of public ministry, do not forget this. What does it say he spoke about? Speaking about the what? Say it out loud. How tragic that you can go to churches all over America for years and never even hear the kingdom of God mentioned And yet Jesus' last 40 days is all he talked about. Not only that, the kingdom of God is referenced over 100 times in 16 different books of the New Testament. One of them, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek ye what? First. The what? The kingdom, now listen, that's not a suggestion he's laying on the table for us to pray about. In the Greek language, it's an imperative, which means as a command from the lips of Jesus himself, the kingdom of God is to be the thing that our life centers in and everything else in our life revolves around. What is the kingdom of God? Let me give you a definition for sake of time. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That's the kingdom of God. It's the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. You do know that while we're sitting here this morning having church in Jinx, Oklahoma, God is on a mission in this world, and one day that mission is going to come to an end. The last soul is going to be born again into the kingdom. Jesus is going to return from heaven with a shout, and forever in eternity, it's going to be King Jesus ruling and reigning with his kingdom from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's what's happening right now in the world. And get this, we're living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. Did you know that there are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history? You did not hear what I just said or you have said something. The church I pastor in Las Vegas has 54 languages in it. One of the beauties of multiple cultures worshiping together is a lot of cultures worship loud. So I'm used to people talking back to me every once in a while. So I'm going to give you another shot at what I just said. All right, here we go. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. Now get this. God birthed your church for such a time as this. Not just so you can have D Now weekend. Not just so you can come together and have dynamic worship services on Sunday. Not just so you can meet each other's needs. God birthed your church to join in the big picture of what He's doing and expanding His kingdom in cities and nations all over the world. And here's what the early church said We're in. They wrapped their hearts. They said, listen, we don't care whether the music's traditional or contemporary. We don't care what color the carpet is. We don't care if you wear suits and ties or jeans and shorts. Yes to the kingdom. They wrapped their hearts around something that was bigger. That passion united them. What if today we sold out everything for the kingdom? Here's what's tragic. We've taken the kingdom of God and we've made it a department in the church called missions. Can I make a suggestion? Let's crucify the S. There's no missions. There's the mission. There's just one. It's God's kingdom expanded every tribe, nation, people, and language. And the only reason the church exists today is for the accomplishment of the mission. Can I give you a word of discouragement this morning? One day, this beautiful church called First Baptist Jeans, one day, it's going to die. You say, how dare you? It's true. Let me tell you how I know it's true because all churches do. Every church got a book deal in the New Testament, dead and gone. I've stood in the church at Ephesus, the remains. I've stood in the remains of the church at Corinth. You know what they are? A pile of rocks today. They're dead and gone. Every church that has ever existed has a life cycle. It's born, it lives, and it dies. But guess what? The kingdom of God is alive and well. The local church is not the goal. The goal is the expansion of the kingdom. The church is the gathering place to introduce people to King Jesus, the discipleship center to train them in kingdom living, and then the launching pad to send them out for the expansion of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. They had a passion that produced unity. Number three, got to move on. There's another service coming behind you. I'd just camp out here for a minute. Number three, they they had a desperation that produced prayer. I want to read you the funniest verses that I've ever read in the Bible. You do know the Bible has humor in it, right? God gave us our sense of humor. We're in the imago. They were made in his image. Look at verse 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, as he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. You're not laughing yet. You didn't get the joke. That's funny. Let me tell you why it's funny. Look what it starts with. And when he had said these things, what did he just say? Here's what he just said. Okay, everybody lean in. Do me a a favor today. I want you to kind of lean in a little bit this morning. Lean in. Here's what Jesus said. Lean in. All right, here's the plan. We're going to start in Jerusalem where they hate you. Here's the plan. We're going to start in Jerusalem where they hate you. Then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria where you hate them. So here's the deal. We're going to start where they hate you. Then you're going to go where you hate them. Then, here's the plan. You're going to go to the remotest part of the earth. Here's what that means. You're going to go places you don't know exist. And you don't know how to get there. So lean in. Here's the plan. We're going to start where they hate you. You're going to go where you hate them. And then you're going to go where you don't know they exist. And you don't know how to get there. And then, he starts floating. Look! When he'd said these things, go where they hate you, go where you hate them, go where you don't know where to go and how to get there. When he'd said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Ooh. And I'm not talking about Las Vegas Levitation Act. I'm talking, Ooh. gone. Did, did somebody write down what he just See? Y'all think he's coming back? You say you're making it up. Look at the next phrase. Look at the next verse. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven. Here's what that looks like. (laughs) And I believe if what happened next hadn't happened next, you'd have found 120 skeletons with their jaws wide open right there on that mountain. You know what happened next? Jesus gets to heaven, looks down, sees them all standing there looking up into heaven. He sends two angels and said, would you tell them to get on about the business of the mission? You say, you're making that up. Read it. Look at it. While they were gazing, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here? Looking into heaven. And everything changed with the next phrase out of their mouth. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, listen, listen, will come in the same way you watched him go. And when they heard that, They ran down off of that mountain. They ran back into Jerusalem. They ran up into the upper room. They slammed the door, and they pulled out a whiteboard and began to take questions and answers about how to develop a strategic initiative so they could understand the felt needs of their community and start a new. No, 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 no. They started training people in personal evangelism so they knew how to use their fingertips to walk through the F-A-I-T-A. They got down on their knees before God. And the Bible says they devoted themselves to pray. What does that mean? Here's what that means. They knew if God's not God, we're sunk. The only hope we have is God does this. And so they grabbed a hold of the altar of God and they didn't let go until God showed up and did what only God could do. They prayed. There's another reason why we're not seeing God move in the church in America. We've relegated corporate prayer to moments of transition when we move the band on and off the stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set. I'm not saying it's wrong to move stuff while we pray. I'm just saying it's wrong to pray just to move stuff. What if we just carved out time in our services when we gather together to cry out to God in desperation because if God doesn't show up, we're dead You know, the problem is the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. We can do this thing called church where the God ever shows up or not. What if the metric every Sunday was not how many people showed up, but the metric was did God show up? What can be explained today with the simple phrase, God showed up? You say, but does prayer really, is it really that big a deal? Listen, when I got to Las Vegas 22 years ago, My first week on the field, I got a telephone call from a lady named Letty Peralta. Didn't know her at all. She said, Pastor, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, I met an American family, moved in with them, became the caretaker of their home. She said, that family then relocated to America. I moved with them to a suburb north of Atlanta called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, I've lived in Woodstock, Georgia for a year. and I lived there for a few months. Went to a church called First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia. Heard the gospel and the kingdom preached like I'd never heard it before changed my life but she said then my family relocated to Las Vegas Nevada she said I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half and here's what she said honest to God she said I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas Nevada would you please tell me who sent you here (laughs) two weeks earlier my family loaded everything we owned in a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock Georgia we were sent out of that fellowship drove 2,000 miles across the country to Las Vegas and none of us even knew Lady Peralta existed We've now seen over 5,000 people baptized into that fellowship out of the city of Las Vegas. Out of that fellowship, we've sent 400 people out of that church to start 80 churches up and down the western United States. We work on four continents around the world. We have 18 people in the pipeline right now with the International Mission Board to plant their lives overseas. There are 54 languages spoken in our church. Looks like a bag of Skittles on Sunday morning. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Listen, we got a jump start on what heaven's going to look like. People call me all the time. How does a white guy from Alabama go to Las Vegas and see that happen? I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm trying to be honest. One lady from the Philippines for a year and a half grabbed a hold of the altar of God. And for 22 years we have ridden a wave of the favor of God's activity. What's it going to take to get us desperate? Here's the last thing I'm done. They had the spirit that produced power. There's a lot about Acts chapter 2 that makes us uncomfortable as Baptists. But you know what we need more than anything else? We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God that can only be explained as I don't know. I don't have all the answers. It doesn't fit in all my boxes, but here's what I do know. God showed up and God showed out. You bow your head with me today. God, would you take your word and speak to our heart now? I don't know where this hits you today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian at all. Listen, the message entrusted to this early church was the message we call the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. We're still stewarding this message today. The gospel says that God loves you and that God created you for a relationship with himself. But because of our sin, we're separated from a love relationship with God. And there's nothing we can do to earn our way back into God's favor. But God did for us what we could not do on our own. God sent his son Jesus into the world. God became a man And God lived a sinless life in the person of Jesus. And he took on himself on the cross all of your sin and all of my sin. And he died on the cross for our sin. But he did not stay dead. As a testimony that God accepted his sacrifice for our sin, God raised him from the dead so that now you and I, who are far from God because of our sin, can be called the sons and daughters of God through the forgiveness that is available in Christ. All you have to do today, if you're not a Christian, is believe in Jesus. Turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your God, and he'll save you. I'm going to go ahead and ask some pastors to come. They're going to be here at the front in just a moment. We're going to sing a song of worship, a song of response. If you're not a Christian today... Maybe you're here in this D-Now crowd and you've been hearing all weekend the gospel and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Listen, today is the day for you to surrender your life to Christ. Come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. But for a lot of you today, you're already a Christian. What's God saying to you? Do you have a faith that produces obedience? Do you? cultivate an intimate fellowship with God daily where you listen for His voice and when God speaks, maybe some of you right now on the brink you know God's been speaking to you and you've been saying no you've been resisting calling you to put a yes on the table to plant a church, to go on a mission trip to join in God's activity, to give more whatever it looks like and you've been resisting listen, we're not going to be used of God until we get a faith that produces obedience where we listen to the voice of God and then say yes some of you maybe today need to come lay a fresh yes on this altar, you say what's the question? I don't know He'll ask it when he's ready, but Lord, anything but yes don't go together. Maybe it's a passion for the kingdom. Maybe you got some stuff in your life that's taken the place of the kingdom. You've put some convictions ahead of the expansion of the kingdom and you need to die to self, die to family, die to career. Maybe you need to turn your seat into an altar, come to this altar here and just surrender some things. Maybe it's a Maybe you just feel called to come get in this altar to be one of those people that seek God in prayer. You're desperate to see God move in this church, in this city, in this country, in this world. As God speaks to you today, have your way. Lord, speak as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.